over the last few weeks, we've been coming up to the birth of Messiah, the nativity of the Lord, the birth of the God-man. And that's which started in Genesis 3.15 with the first proclamation that a Redeemer was going to come has its fulfillment. And we commemorated that. You probably all went to your churches and heard all the Christmas readings. And over the last few weeks, month or so, we've been mostly doing passages from Isaiah because Isaiah has awesome prophecies about how Messiah is going to come, what he's going to be like, what he's going to do, what's going to happen to him, and finally how Gentiles are going to be included in the plan of salvation. And here we are, happy Gentiles included in the plan of salvation. <laughs> and, you know, Paul, Paul in Ephesians 3 calls that the great mystery of the ages, that Gentiles would be included in the plan. And I, I, for those of you that go to my YouTube channel, I'd really recommend you go and see a thing I did yesterday about the star, the star of Bethlehem and its Old Testament roots. But... Um, Tonight, we're going to take a passage from one of the Psalms. I know this time of year, people say, what are you talking about the Psalms for? You know, we should be talking about Luke. We should be talking about, you know, the wise men coming. We should be, as I said before we started, you know, as we go into a new year, which we're going to in a little over 48 hours, we're in a more important position than ever to proclaim the gospel and to bring in a harvest. We're here at this time to bring in the final harvest. And it's going to be, it is, not going to be, it is the final harvest. I mean, if we're still here 20 years from now, well, I probably won't be, but if we're still here 20 years from now talking about this, I don't think that's very likely. I'm not sure if 10 years from now we're still going to be here talking about this. And I hope he comes tonight. But anyway, that's beside the point. But it's more important than ever to proclaim the good news, to proclaim the gospel. You know, Yeshua as the, the God-man, but as the eternal God, the second person of the Trinity who has always been God, is God and always will be God, comes in flesh as a man. And this is what we, we commemorated. And the prophecies that go through this, not just from Isaiah, but through Torah, you know, and for those of you that are taking the Torah class, is go, we go through all these prefigurements and types of Yeshua. And in John chapter 5, he says to, you, to those guys who all they did was study scripture, that's all they did, he said to them, you, you um, you say you, you say you believe Moses, but if you believe Moses, you'd believe me because Moses wrote about me. All of the scripture is about him and the prophets and the writings which make up Tanakh. And a lot of people don't think about David, King David, as a prophet, but he's a prophet. There are so many messianic psalms. There's so many times where David is writing about something that's happening in his life, something that's happening in the kingdom, and all of a sudden there's a messianic passage. But we're going to go to 96, starting in verse 1. 
Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his wonders among all peoples. Wait a minute, David, you're writing in 900 and something BC. You're living at a time where God's covenant with Israel was a covenant of law, and it was only for them. They are the only ones who had the covenant. But you're writing, proclaim the good news from day to day, declare his glory among the nations. The word that's used there is goyim, which is the Gentiles. Remember, when the Bible talks about nations, it's talking about Gentiles, unclean, non-covenant people like our ancestors. Our ancestors were worshiping the sun and the moon and the rocks and the wind. And, and the Israelites had the true God. And David writes, we, we're going to talk about his wonders among all peoples, not just the people living here, not just the people living within 100 miles of here, but all people, all the nations. David writes many psalms about the nations. Isaiah writes nations. You know, people who aren't a nation will become a nation. People who aren't looking for me will find me. People who don't know me will know me. I'm going to say, here I am, here I am. So God's going to call out to the Gentiles, call out to the Goyim, because the plan of salvation is for everyone. Yeshua tells the woman at the well, salvation is from the Jews. Yes, absolutely. Yes. But, you know, it isn't just for the Jews. So here's David writing in 9-something B.C., living in a covenant where your righteousness is measured by how well you're doing with the law, saying that we should proclaim his name and praise him, talk about his wonders among the Gentiles. So he says, the Hebrew there means we sing out praise. We don't just mumble. We don't just say a little prayer where we're mumbling, you know, Lord, thank you very much. Thank you, praise your name. We sing it out. We sing out praise. We sing out praise because of his majesty. We sing out praise because of what he's done. We sing out praise because he's created us. We sing out praise because he's made all of this around us. You know, Paul tells us in Romans 1 that his, his workmanship shows that he's here. He says, you know, no, no, every man is without excuse. You don't die and say, gee, I didn't know you were real. Because he's in everything that's been made. You see his workmanship. And so his majesty caused you to sing out and to sing out for because of his glory. You know, the gods that the nations had that our ancestors worshipped, they didn't really have a lot of glory. In fact, they had no glory, right? They were little statues. You know, you worshipped Apollo because he drove the sun across the sky. But whether you worshipped Apollo or didn't worship Apollo, the sun still went across the sky. And you worshipped the wind, and you tried to keep all these gods happy, and you had hundreds of gods you had to keep happy. And after a while, you just kind of said, I, you know, I can't do this. There's too many of them. There's got to be one God somewhere who's going to be mad at me for something. 
So, you know, he, it, but David says, this is the God of glory because he has created everything. You know, Paul tells the Athenians on the Areopagus in Acts um, 17, he says, you know, you guys have all these gods, and I see you're a really a religious people, and you even have an altar to the unknown God in case you forgot one of them. You know, we don't want a God to get mad because we forgot him, so we make an altar to an unknown God. He goes, I'm going to tell you who the unknown God is. He created everything. He created us. He put us where we're supposed to be at the time we're supposed to be, and he's overlooked the fact that you guys have been worshiping false gods. He overlooks the fact that you are worshiping demons, basically. Paul calls their gods demons. But there's going to come a day where he's not going to overlook it anymore. I think we're at that day. He's not going to overlook it anymore. You're either worshiping him or you're worshiping demons. You're worshiping idols. You're worshiping things that aren't God. So for his glory, you're going to sing out his praise. And for his faithfulness, what about his faithfulness? Genesis 3.15. You know, we've been over this a million times, but it's always good. Like I always say, if you don't think about the cross 20 times a day, you don't get what happened there. You think about Genesis 3.15. You got Eve and Adam, who have both just created a total disaster. You got the serpent still there. They're still in the garden. And God says, paraphrasing, you guys have really screwed things up now and you can't solve your problem. But I'm going to solve your problem because from the seed of the woman, not Adam, from the seed of the woman is going to come one who's going to crush the head of the serpent. He's going to crush Satan's head. And Satan's going to nip at his heel while he's crushing Satan's head. From the woman... They didn't understand fertilization. They knew that you needed a man and a woman. They were actually smarter than a lot of people in our society, knew it, knowing that a man couldn't get pregnant, but a man did something to the woman that brought on a baby. <clears throat> you know, we've, we've gotten, I mean, you talk about idols. We've gone so far over the edge that now we've even given up common sense and natural law. But that would be a topic for another time. You know, I love the people on Facebook that post, you know, everybody who's ever been born has been born from a woman. You can fact check that. (laughs) No one's ever been born from a man. But God says from the woman, from her seed is going to come the one. In other words, he's not going to have a human father. He's going to come from the woman. He's going to be born of a woman, born under the law, as Paul says in Galatians 4. But he's not going to have a human father. The prophets build on this. We don't have time to get into all of it. But the faithfulness is they believed the promise. And no matter how many times they rebelled, no matter how many times they screwed up, the plan went on. Because it's an eternal plan. The scripture always talks about the righteousness of the fathers. Were they all really that righteous? Jacob was pretty much of a jerk. He was a deceiver. He was a supplanter. His name Yaakov means the supplanter. He misled his brother. He misled his father. He misled his uncle. Married two women. That wasn't enough for him, too. Two other slave women to make 12 sons. 
I mean, this guy's not exactly St. Francis walking around with his hands folded. But the plan goes on. Because the plan was going to be the only way that sin was going to be dealt with. The only way that sin is going to be dealt with. And the world hates us for saying that. Hates us. Remember when Yeshua said, I don't remember the reference, but he said, you know, the world's going to hate you. Why? Because the world hates me. You know, the crowd didn't ask for Barabbas because they loved Barabbas. They asked for Barabbas because they hated Jesus. They hated the truth. They hated what he was saying. So they'll take the criminal, the murderer, the revolutionary over the truth. The people in our society are doing the same thing. So his faithfulness goes on. His faithfulness goes on. And it goes on until the very last human who's going to be saved. You know, if you go to the coffee shop or talk to your friends, they'll say, well, you know, first of all, the God I believe in would never send anybody to hell. And everybody's nice. Everybody's basically good. And yeah, there's about 12 or 15 degenerates in hell, but everybody else is in heaven. And Jesus says, no, there's few that will be saved. Few that find their way. Few that find the narrow road. So he has the faithfulness of making this plan, and that's what we have to sing out. Because the plan is eternal. It's not going to change. There's not going to be a third testament. There's not going to be another Messiah. There's not going to be a different way of being saved. So three times in that passage, we're told to sing. Three times. I can't remember the Hebrew word. Maybe you know, Joel, but it's shiru or something like that. But we're told three times to sing out praise to the Lord. Three times. Hmm, that's interesting. People say, well, Trinity's never mentioned in the Bible. It's true. And people say, well, you know, in the Old Testament, well, three times. There's a lot of threes in the Old Testament. There's three angels that come to visit Abraham, and sometimes he calls them Lord, and sometimes he says, you three. I always want to say y'all. But three times we're told to sing out and to do it often because we should be stirred to it. How can you think about, you know, the Chris Tomlin song, how can I keep from singing? When you think about what he's done for you, you don't say, yeah, that's great. Yeah, you know. I was a jerk, and I'm a little less of a jerk, but, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. I'll think about that when the football game's over, or I'll think about that when I retire, or I'll think about that when the kids grow up, or yeah, 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 whatever. No, he says you're stirred to it. You do it often. And he says you sing a new song. You don't sing the same old songs. You don't sing the same kind of stuff you did before you were a believer. You don't sing the kind of stuff you sang when you were a little kid. You sing a new song. Why is it a new song? What is new? What's new about it? Well, something surprising has happened. Something unbelievable has happened. We know in Isaiah 7, God says, ask me for a sign, I'll give you a sign. Oh, well, okay, I'm going to give you a sign. A virgin's going to conceive and bear a son. What? 
What? Never in human history had that happened. Powerful sign. God is going to take on human flesh, a very real physical body descended from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and descended from Judah, and descended from David. And he's going to be born to a woman who's descended from David, who's married to a man who's descended from David. And he's going to be a a baby boy who's going to grow up into a bigger boy and then to a teenage boy and then to an adult man because he has a human body just like every other man has. Nobody would believe it. But what's really the new song? What's happened? A new covenant has come. Jeremiah 31, 31 says, I'm going to make a new covenant. You got, y'all aren't doing that great with the 613 laws. In fact, you're a total disaster. There's rebellion going on in every single person. Remember, human heart is always set on evil. Oh, but I'm a nice person. You don't even know me. Well, I don't have to know you because all I know is if you're a human being, I know that you're a sinner. And because I'm a human being, y'all know that I'm a sinner. Right? Oh, but I'm a, I've never killed anybody. I've never stolen anything. But what's happened is, as laws and laws were broken, not only by the Israelites, but us as well, a new covenant was needed. The writer to the Hebrew says, If the old covenant was sufficient to save everyone, there wouldn't have been a need for a second one. God could have just said, you know, if you keep the law, you'll be saved. And that's true. You can earn your salvation. Here's what you got to do. I can't do that. Exactly. In Galatians, Paul says, the law is the schoolmaster that drives you to the cross. The taskmaster, the tutor that takes you to school. I'm not really a good person. I'm actually, I'm kind of a jerk. Yeah, that's right. Here's where you got to come. Yes, you can read Torah all day long, but here's where you have to come. And so a new covenant comes. So it's a new song. It's an everlasting song. There's not going to be a third covenant. Jeremiah 31, I'm going to, 31, 31, I'm going to write the law in their hearts. No one's going to have to say, I want to know God. You're going to know him. How are you going to know him? Well, because when you come to Jesus, you're going to know him. The Holy Spirit's going to come to live in you. You're going to know God. You're not going to be reciting prayers you learned when you were five. Nothing wrong with those prayers. They're cute. Every little kid says cute little prayers. But you're going to reach out. You're going to sing. You're going to praise. You're amazed at what's happened. And it doesn't stop. It doesn't stop. It's an everlasting song. It's ever new. How's it ever new? Because somebody who was saved in the year 34 A.D., is saved in the very same way that somebody who's going to be saved in 2034 A.D. is going to be saved. Right? 
whoever's coming to Jesus tonight who's not known him before is being saved the same way that those guys in the first century were saved. Yes? Because there's no other way. So it's everlasting. It's ever new. The cross is always present. You know, when the Romans crucified people, they always did it in very public places. Because they wanted to make a spectacle of them. They always did it on a public road. They didn't execute you in the basement of the prison or out in the desert somewhere. Boom, right on the public road. So people walked by and said, Ooh, I don't want to end up like that guy. It got your attention. And there was a thing on the top that had your crime. This man killed a Roman soldier. So you walk by and you see this poor guy trying to breathe. You say, Ooh, he's up there because he killed a Roman soldier. Ooh, I better watch him. Public spectacles. So the people that walked by the cross that day that Yeshua died didn't think that 2,000 years later we would be coming to that same cross. Not a different cross. Not a different person being crucified. It goes through history. It's ever new because it's the only way to be saved. The only way to be saved. There's no end to its power. You know, Hitler could have been saved had he fallen to his knees and repented of what he did. Right? Because the blood of Yeshua has infinite power to forgive sin. He probably didn't repent since he shot himself, but if you find St. Hitler in heaven, then, well, no, just kidding. Shouldn't even joke about stuff like that. But it's infinite power to forgive sin. It's the, the glory and the power go on forever. It never ends. It's never outdated. You know, I always talk about, you know, here we are in northern Ohio, 3,500 years after Abraham, still talking about Abraham. You know, those guys that walked around with Yeshua, I wonder if they ever thought, well, 2,000 years from now, man, there'll be people in places we don't even know that are still going to be talking about the day they crucified him. I don't know. But it goes through history. And it says all the earth is going to sing. All the earth is going, not just Israel. Remember when the Israelites, remember when the kingdom of Judah got exiled to Babylon in Psalm uh, 137, I think it is, the Babylonians tormented the people from Judah saying, sing us some songs of Zion. Remember, and they said, how can we sing the songs of the Lord in a foreign land? They were in a foreign land, exiled. They hung their harps up on the trees because they didn't want to even play the music anymore. Don't want to sing in a pagan land. How can we sing the songs of the Lord in this place? But now, it's not like that. Because of all the prophecies concerning the calling of the Gentiles, this is going on to all the earth. All the earth is going to sing. Just like when it says in Isaiah that God puts a banner over all the nations. And the banner is the cross. 
Because it's salvation for everyone who comes. So it's, you sing over all the earth, not just in Israel. So what are you singing about? What's so great about this? So 2,000 years ago, they executed some guy. And then somebody said, oh, he's still alive. Well, I don't believe that. I say, once you're dead, you're dead. You can't prove he's still alive. You can't prove he rose from the dead. What's the big deal? You know, I argued with an ultra-Orthodox rabbi at the Western Wall who said, they killed him, they buried him, that was the end of it. So don't talk about how he came out of the grave, because that doesn't happen. So what's the good news? It talks about his salvation. That passage talks about his salvation. He brings salvation. The faithfulness of the plan was that he brings salvation. We don't earn the salvation. It's a gift that he gives us. It's not a contract where he says, you do this, 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 and this, you're in. If you don't do these things, you're not in. He provides the salvation. That's the good news. That's the cause of the joy and the praise. That's the cause of the singing. And that's why that should never be exhausted day by day, every day, forever, until he comes back, and then even when we're in heaven. I mean, how are we going to get over? Are we going to get to heaven and say, oh, good, I'm here. Now I don't have to sweat this anymore. Whew, that's good. No, you're still going to be singing and praising and being amazed. I'll even be able to sing when I'm in heaven. I'm going to have hair, and so is Bruce. We're, all, we're both going to have hair, and John. And we'll have cool little harps, and we'll be able to sing. <laughs> I only sing now if the building has to be evacuated. But in heaven, we'll all be able to sing because we're never going to get over this. It's never exhausted. You're going to look around your surroundings in heaven, and you're going to say, ah, oh, I'm here because of what he did. I'm not here because I'm so awesome. He let me in because he said, you know, you're so awesome. I, I can't get over it. I've, I, I've checked 10 times over this book, and you never did one single thing wrong, ever. No, he didn't say that about anybody. So we're always going to be amazed by this. And it says, declare it to all the nations. Tell the wonder of it to everyone. Everyone? Yeah. My friend Paul Wilbur, who sang some of those songs we did, always tells me, you know, he's waiting in line at Starbucks or something to buy something, and somebody will inevitably, who's standing in front of him, will say, like, oh, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Oh, so what do you do? for a living. And he says, oh, I travel around the world singing songs about Jesus. And they always look at him and kind of go, oh, that's nice. <laughs> what a weirdo. I just lost interest in talking to you, man. I was going to get my coffee and get out of here. But we have to tell this to everyone. We're going into a new year. The world is in an abyss right now. Nobody even knows what's a man, what's a woman. Like any three-year-old could tell you who's a boy and who's a girl. But we don't know that anymore. Just how bad it's gotten. We have Satan worshippers, literal Satan worshippers, you know, putting up stuff. 
I often wonder, like, what does a Satan worshiper think they're going to get at the end? I mean, <laughs> you get to be in hell with Satan? Oh, that sounds fun. <laughs> I mean, talk about a delusion. So you have to tell the wonder to everyone, because the salvation is a wonder. Is a wonder. Colossians 2.14, all the condemnation due to us from the law was nailed to the cross. What? Was nailed to the cross. It's as if you never did it. You're justified. You're not just a commuted sentence or, yeah, I should sentence you to death, but instead I'm going to give you 20 years. Which for most of us would be the same, but... (laughs) Oh, come on, that's a little bit funny. But anyway... So, salvation is a wonder. Who deserves it? Nobody. Who earns it? Nobody. Who lives a perfect life? Nobody. I always used to crack up when people would always, always, always say, well, I never killed anybody. And I used to say, wow, you know, if the criteria to get into heaven was don't kill anybody, most people would be saved. Because most people never kill anybody. But there's a lot of other laws. There's a lot of other commands. So salvation is a wonder. And this is why Messiah came. When you went into, oh, they don't have a nativity set here, but there's one back there. You know, when you saw that, if you walked by that stable or cave or whatever it was that night, and you saw this poor young woman who's like, Exhausted and sweating and but dirty, and her husband, you know, men, of course, didn't have anything to do with deliveries in those days. You know, Joseph's probably standing outside going, Oh, well, what, what just happened here? And you see this little baby, and you think, Boy, this poor couple, you know, they have their baby in this disgusting place. It's dirty and it smells bad, and there's animals in here. Uh, well, congratulations, you guys, but <sighs> too bad you didn't make it to the hospital in time. <laughs> no, when you saw that baby, Colossians chapter 1, you saw the fullness of the Godhead. You saw the glory that Moses couldn't see. You saw what the prophets wanted to see and wanted to hear and didn't see and didn't hear it. Like Yeshua told his, that dopey bunch he hung out with. Everybody's wanted to hear what you hear and see what you see. And they didn't hear it. They didn't see it. You guys got to see it and hear it. First John, John says, that which was before the beginning. We saw it. We heard. We handled him. We saw him physically. We heard him. We touched him. We ate with him. We hung out with him. We walked along the road with him. Wow. It's, it, it's, it's Messiah who's come in order to bring salvation. And of course, like we always talk about here, it's prefigured in Torah. Blood sacrifice. Blood atonement. You know, the world out there doesn't want to hear about crosses and blood and sins and Who wants to hear about that stuff? We want to talk about nice things. 
we want a nice band. We want the dry ice thing. We want to hear a nice talk, you know, build us up, man. Get my self-esteem built up. Because tomorrow when I go to the office, I want to get a bonus. We don't want to hear about all that cross and blood and sin. Foretold by the prophets, not just Isaiah, but and now at the appointed time, he comes. When we do the feast, you remember the feast of the Moedim, the appointed times. Yeshua comes at an appointed time. God uses a pagan emperor, Augustus, to get Mary and Joseph from Nazareth to Bethlehem. I mean, pretty, pretty remarkable. You know, she's like, I don't know, just shy of nine months pregnant. It probably would have taken them a good week to go from Nazareth to, to Bethlehem. Augustus Caesar arranges that. Augustus could have cared less what was going on. He just wanted to count how many people he had. So his IRS equivalent would know how to collect more taxes. (laughs) So the plan even involves that. Getting them to where they were supposed to be. Why? Because of Micah chapter 5, verse 2. The Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem. The one who's going to shepherd Israel is going to be born in Bethlehem, which at this time is this dopey little town. He's going to shepherd Israel. Yeshua calls himself the good shepherd. John chapter 10. If you don't know John chapter 10, I don't know what to tell you other than go home and read it again. He's going to shepherd my people. So he's revealed to the chosen. Oops. Uh Uh-oh, what did I do? He's revealed to the chosen people, but now for everyone. We went over Isaiah chapter um, 9 a few week, couple weeks ago. People in darkness see a great light. All of us were living in darkness until we saw him. What's that? How come I didn't know that before? How come I've been living in a dark room? How come I've been living in this gloom when I could have had this? A great light comes into the darkness. And this is the reason that he comes. This is the faithfulness of the plan. And this is what we need to think about when the world's running around with Santa and elves and reindeer and all kind of Grinches on people's lawns, and I don't even know, like, Mickey Mouse stuff everywhere in our area. I don't know. For some reason, there's like some Mickey Mouse Christmas decorations up. (laughs) And it's fine for little kids. I'm not saying don't do Santa and that, but you know what I mean. This is what we should be thinking about, is the birth of the God-man. 